You know, when I think about leaving, or, you know, and, and leaving, it doesn't sound too, too dramatic to me just because it's across town, and I'm sure I'll still be popping back in here. But when I think about this transition, in a lot of ways, it feels like a good time. Well, number one, Notre Dame is undefeated. And I really like to leave before we play Clemson. So I think that's great. Red Sox defending World Series champs. We'll part with that. That's perfect. So there's actually some really good timing going on here. Uh, but in all honesty, it's, uh, I look forward to next week. And I think I've told you this before, but uh, this ministry has been a huge blessing for me. I've learned so much and uh, been so encouraged and, and hopefully gotten a chance to encourage you. It's, it's been wonderful. So thank you. And I know the guys that are coming on in January, uh, that's another reason why I'll come, to say hello to all of you, uh, but also to learn things, because they're great, they're great preachers, great teachers. We're going to go ahead and spend the next two weeks in Matthew. Uh, we'll get Christmassy, so we'll go ahead and read about the birth of Jesus, um, and we'll start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, and go through verse 25. Verse 17 is actually an interesting verse to start on, because most uh, people, when they're breaking you know, Scripture up into sections so we can kind of try to organize it in our heads... It'd be tough, right, if it was all just one book with no breaks anywhere. Uh, But usually people include verse 17 uh, as the last verse with the genealogy. And reading through the genealogy isn't always that fun. So we won't do that. Although it certainly is interesting trying to figure out why, which name is where, and and why, what's being emphasized. Which is why I want to read verse 17. Because the big emphasis of the genealogy, and Matthew starts with the genealogy, is to emphasize, at least this is part of it, who Jesus is, where he's coming from, and what names are emphasized. And in verse 17, the two names that are going to stand out are Abraham and David. And I think I've said it up here a few times. If not, um, oh, I know I have. But I'll say it one more time. (laughs) Trying to understand Scripture as a whole, I think, would be impossible if we don't have in mind that there are two very big promises in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of those two biggies. The promise to Abraham and the promise to David. And so let me read verse 17. And it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So it's like now we're getting into Jesus, but even as we start talking about Jesus, don't forget, he's the son of Abraham and the son of David. And by the way, there's been at least, there's been 14 generations, they're saying here. There's been a big time span since the deportation to Babylon. And what does that mean? In this long stretch of time, 
no king. No son of David on the throne. Like, what's up with that? Because there was a promise to David that you'll have a son who will reign forever. How do you keep that straight in your head when we've had now all this time where the son of David hasn't been on the throne? That's a problem for believers in the first century. And Jesus is the answer to that problem, even if it's not exactly how they saw him coming. So that's why I want to talk about verse 17, because that's where Matthew starts. But now we'll get into the birth of Jesus story, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. I wonder how many times Joseph had actually been identified like that. Son of David. That's interesting. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I think it's an interesting way that the angel starts speaking to Joseph. You already heard me mention, I thought it was interesting that the angel identifies Joseph as son of David. We're going to get another emphasis here, right, on son of David. That there's a connection with Jesus to David. It's going to be huge moving throughout Matthew. But then the next line that's given, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I have a question. What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do? You know, I remember in middle school, someone told me how to make Rock candy. At least I thought they did. (laughs) This is how you make rock candy. And this is all I remember about the recipe. I may have shared this with you. Have you guys heard this story before? Maybe some of you. I forget which illustrations I've shared and haven't shared and where. So, rock candy. Great idea. I think I'm in seventh grade. I come home. I'm 12. There's no one home. You know, at this point, my mom's taking a job, so... I open up the door, I head in, I'm going to make some rock candy. So I get out one of her pots, and what I'm told is, just put in water and a lot of sugar and just let it boil. 
And I don't know, I guess they were like, yeah, put in a string and, and then pull it out and it's going to stick. I mean, this is what I had going in my head. I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I started boiling the water and pouring the sugar in. And I'm like, ah, maybe that's not enough sugar. And I put it in more and more. And all of a sudden, the boil, it's more like, a, like, like lava than water to me. It's just like bloop, 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 you know, thick mixture in there, boiling over. And as I'm looking at it, like I've been warned, I don't know where, but I had been warned, sugar gets really hot. And now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, that's getting really hot. And I'm scared. I start getting scared. It's like, there's no one here. I don't know what to do with this. And this is what happened to me. I looked at that pot, and I swore the pot was melting That's what I concluded. I think this is pretty much impossible. But I'm looking at this pot. I'm 12 years old. The pot's melting. The sugar's just going to go all over the place. Who knows? The whole house is just going to combust. I'm terrified. So I grab the pot. I open up the back door. I run through my backyard. I've got the pot in my hand. Bloop, bloop. I mean, you take it off the burner. It's not like heat's gone, right? Like... It is boiling over. I run to the back of my yard where there's a fence. Beyond the fence, there's Route 24, which kind of takes you from Boston all the way down to Fall River. Uh, You just take that pin and I throw it over the fence in the general idea or the general direction of Route 24. Now, Route 24 is probably like, I don't know, 50 yards away. So it's not like I thought I was going to hit it and it was going to like land like a sugar bomb on a car or something. I just knew I had to get this away from the house, so that's what I did. I threw it out there, and it was like, whew, safe. That's where my mind went when I was terrified. I remember I got terrified again a couple weeks later when my mom was like, has anyone seen my uh, pot? And I had to tell her what I did, and she was like, what? It was melting? She's like, get out there and go find it. I never found that thing. I don't know why I couldn't find it. Like, who would come along and take a pot full of sugar and water? What's that? Some beast? I don't know. The uh, point of the story, there's a whole lot of things that I didn't do. Um, Number one thing is when fear hits, don't let fear stop you from thinking. Right? There's sometimes the thinking has to be done quicker. Right? Like if you find yourself in the middle of the street and there's a car coming, the thinking has to happen fast, right? Like get out of the street. There's actually still some thinking going on. Like, should I get out of the street? That's wise. Okay, boom, I'm doing it. But I think what happens a lot is when fearful situations hit, it's hard to just slow down and think. Joseph hit a fearful situation. He's betrothed to Mary. And then she becomes pregnant. He makes what would normally be a pretty safe assumption, right? Like she's been unfaithful. And there's a lot going on in Joseph. Probably a lot of things that we could identify as, oh, I don't know, a lot of feelings besides fear. But fear, actually, 
is in the mix, I'm sure. And it's the, the feeling or the potential motive that the angel addresses. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to receive Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. And then explains the situation. But even before he gets to that place where the angel appears, what does it say Joseph did? First off, it says he decided to not disgrace her and to divorce her quietly. I suspect it took some time to get there, right? Like when he first found out Mary's pregnant, what's going on in his head? A million things. Right? Like this is a disaster. And do you remember when you first hear results from a disa- about a disaster? Something that hits really close to home? All the feelings that flood in, it's like chaos in your head, right? You're not even sure what to do with all the feelings that are flooding up in you. And it says, Joseph decided he wasn't going to disgrace her. That had to take some thinking. Because i got to believe there's at least a thought to just get back with this woman who's devastated you. He thinks she's been unfaithful. Well, first he decides, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to divorce her quietly. What else can I do? I'm not going to be vindictive. And then it says, and as he was considering these things, that he's actually still processing the whole thing. I mean, I'm sure it was one of those moments, right, where how can this be? How could someone who I think I know, I know Mary, I know her family, how could this be? Who, who did this? And he's considering all these things. He's thinking despite his fear and sadness. And the angel then comes and explains it to him. Okay. There's a verse that I just wanted to put up. Because I think you guys actually practice it well. But just as an encouragement, uh, when fear hits, Colossians 3.16, it's just a good one to be working on even before fear hits. That what Colossians 3.16 says is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. That this idea of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That we got to make sure that when fear hits, it's the easiest thing just to latch on to lies and fear and let fear drive every decision. And it can become disastrous. But that if you have his truth in you, and if you're in a community, that's a plural when it says let the fear of God dwell. Oh, we don't need that one yet. Let the fear of God dwell in you richly. The you is plural. That he's speaking to a community. He's assuming that we're in community. And he's saying, in your community, all of you, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Isn't that what we're trying to do here? And that we're in a community where we trust people to admonish us appropriately. That when we're in fear and we're running off wrong directions, that we have friends who the word of God dwells in them richly, and they'll come along and say, whoa, you know, 
there might, there might be some more thinking to do. Next question, though. What do we do once we've thought it through? Once it's become evident that, okay, I know what I should do. I think the next thing we've got to make sure is we don't just know it. We haven't just thought it through, but we do it. Don't let fear stop you from doing the right thing. Like there's some thinking and then there's some doing. And it's pretty impressive, uh, Joseph's uh, kind of thought process to action, that as soon as he knows the truth, he's been thinking this through, he's confused, what's going on? As soon as the angel comes to him and says, hey, let me, let me show you, Joseph, the next step. Receive Mary as your wife. You're going to have a child. Name the child Jesus. What we see in verses 24 and 25 is he got up from his dream and he did it. (laughs) Like, don't let fear stop you from not only thinking, but from doing the right thing. And can we even say, do the right thing right now? That as soon as he got up from the dream, he goes and receives Mary. And when the child's born, he names the child Jesus. What is fear keeping you from doing this morning? Is there anything? You know, sometimes I think through old things and think, boy, you know, like that's been a while. Do I still need to call that person? You know, like fear, fear can keep us from saying sorry when we know it's time to say sorry. Fear and anger, it can keep us from forgiving someone when we know it's time to forgive that person. Fear, anger, it can make us give up. Maybe we just give up on fighting a certain temptation or or give up on a certain relationship when God's calling us just to continue to pray and be hopeful. Fear? Fear can keep us from stopping something that we really need to stop. Is there anything in your life that you know, like, hey, I've been doing this, like maybe the outbursts of of anger are just too frequent uh, to the point where you know, like, hey, I've I've got a habit a destructive habit of just saying angry words when, when I'm hurt and it has to stop. Like you know that's the right thing. But something just keeps you from doing it. I want to say fear's in the mix somewhere. Who knows? Maybe there's an extramarital affair going on and you've known for a long time it's time to stop. Maybe there's too much, I don't know. Is there anything in your life where you know it's time to do the right thing and fear? And maybe you wouldn't even use that word, but I'm guessing whatever you want to use, it's in combination with fear. Fear 
is keeping you from doing the right thing. Don't be afraid. Or should we say, when the fear comes, don't let it stop you from doing the right thing. And even doing the right thing right now. I think it's fair to say, when we think about that, it's a fair question to ask, how? How? Because sometimes this fear has been controlling our actions for a long time and saying, okay, I'm now going to do the right thing in this moment and moving forward, but we'll just stay in this moment. In this moment, I'm going to do the right thing. We can say, look, I've been trying to do the right thing. I just have trouble doing it. How am I supposed to do that? That in between when Joseph found out what the right thing to do was, in his doing it, he was given another message. And the message is this. God is with you, Joseph. That don't let fear stop you. On what grounds? How? Why? Because God is with you. That you are going to have a son, Joseph, Son of David, your wife, Mary, has a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. And he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fulfilling what was written by the prophet in Isaiah, a virgin is going to become pregnant and have a child, and they'll call him Emmanuel that quote, it comes from Isaiah 7. It's Isaiah 7.14 that they're referencing. Some of you might have that footnote in your Bible. There's an interesting story going on in Isaiah 7. This happens a lot, by the way. When you see um, an Old Testament quote in the New, they're not pulling an Old Testament quote out of context and then slamming it into the situation they need. That we can understand more of what's going on in the New Testament when they reference an Old Testament quote by going back to the Old Testament where it was originally put and ask, what's going on here? What's the context in Isaiah 7 where this was first stated by Isaiah? And what's going on in Isaiah chapter 7 is there's a king on the throne named Ahaz who is a son of David. He's the king. And he has a problem. Syria and Israel, that's a little confusing, right? The northern kingdom, two other kings are threatening him. That they're coming up to Jerusalem and they're threatening to take over and install another king. They're threatening this son of David with his life. We're taking you and your kingdom. And what we see in chapter 7 is it says Ahaz... And his whole, all his people, they were shaking like trees in the wind. He was terrified. And the message to Ahaz, son of David, is 
don't be afraid. So what's the message in Matthew 1? Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. That what's going on back here in Isaiah 7 is Isaiah saying there's a son coming. We actually don't know a whole lot about what particular son he's talking about in Isaiah chapter 7. This is somehow back from 730 B.C.-ish. And they're talking about another child that, by the way, he's going to be a sign that these two kings, they won't conquer you. And they don't. So take comfort. But it's one of those prophecies, one of those signs, where it applies in 730 B.C. Right? We've talked about some prophecies that are fulfilled at one point and then at another. <coughs> Right? That they have meaning here, but symbolically they're pointing to something else. And this is what happens. Because there's been some confusion. Maybe that son of David, Ahaz, could fear not that he was going to survive. But we've had many generations now since Babylon. And it appears the house of David hasn't survived. But no, here's the message of Joseph. Same message I gave back to your forefather, son of David. Don't be afraid. But here's the deal. We're not in the lineage of David. So how does this apply to us? God with us. Because if I just look at Matthew 1, there's not a direct connection. But can I bring up the very last verse of Matthew? And this is a big clue for us, right? Because if this is mentioned in the first story of Matthew... And then in the last verse of Matthew, Matthew's trying to say, hey, understand, this is a big point. <laughs> I'm going to introduce it right in the beginning, and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stories and tell you about Jesus, and then I'm going to land on this. Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them, this is Jesus' final speech. Right? He's got all his disciples up there, the 11. And he's saying, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am with you. That in chapter 1, the angel announces that Jesus will be called Emmanuel. And in chapter 28, Jesus himself announces, I am Emmanuel. I am with you always. That this doesn't just apply to Ahaz in Isaiah 7 or to Joseph in chapter 1, but Jesus puts it to all of us who believe in him Receive him and take on the mission that he's given us. Go and make disciples. And as you do this, I am Emmanuel. I am with you. What does that look like? 
Can I give you a story? I imagine we all have stories of what it looks like to move through life and move through our fears with God with us. But I have one that happened to me just two days ago that I thought, hmm, thank you, Lord. That's a great illustration. (laughs) And it was a great encouragement to me. So two days ago, as you heard, we're starting Eastside Church over on the east side of town. And it's been a wonderful, encouraging time. And I can honestly tell you, very... At very few times have I felt great anxiety. Mostly what I feel is uh, a peace. Uh, not that all the questions are answered. Not even close. <laughs> but in this particular day, you know, our, our first service is coming up. And I was trying to figure out who's leading worship. Not even like what style of worship. People ask me that and I think, well, I don't know which musician we have yet. <laughs> like, so... It depends. When that guy comes along or that gal comes along, I'll ask her, what's her style? (laughs) Hey, go ahead and lead. But I couldn't get the right person. And I had gone through a few avenues. And by the right person, I mean any person. And I was getting to the point where I was like, Lord, why is this so much? And here's what really bothered me. Not that, you know, for service up in January, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Here's what bothered me. I was feeling anxiety over details that I know, like, wait, where's this coming from? Because you know what anxiety is, right? Like, that's fear. And I really like my life without that fear. And so here it is. It's telling me, ah, I need this. I start talking to my wife. It's not, I'm just talking, talking, talking. It's not working. And then I get this phone call. That day, earlier that day, I had called this woman. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm not going to use her name just in case, right? So I'm going to call her Susan. That's not her name. But I called Susan to say, uh, hey, Susan, I, I got your name and information from a friend. I know you live right down the street and, and that you were interested in the, the church on this side of town we're starting. And, and she said, thank you. You know, I got a lot going on right now, but I have your number. I'll call you back. And absolutely, no pressure. And, okay. Right when I was going through all this anxiety, Susan calls me back. Leaves a message. I didn't know how to call her. There she is. Answer it. It was kind of like that. So she calls and she says, look, here's why I'm busy. Uh, My mom is dying. And tomorrow morning, we're taking her off the machine that's keeping her alive. And hospice is going to be there, and I'm going to be there, and we're going to all do that in the morning. Can you come by in the morning and just talk with her? And, and she needs a pastor. And I thought, whoa. You know, like, I actually had that woman's information for weeks. <laughs> and it was just sitting there, like, you got to do it, you got to do it. I wasn't quite sure what to tell her. I had, so I called that. That morning, coincidentally, right? Here's what I'm getting at. Making disciples and moving through our fears with him, I don't know what it looks like. But what I do know is he really is with you. And he really wants to take that anxiety away and tell you, first of all, it doesn't accomplish anything. And second of all, you don't have to be afraid. Because here's the deal. You're pressing after all these things you think you need to do. It's not what you need to do. (laughs) Like Maybe I can't find the right person because it's not time to find that person right now. 
So just be at peace and be listening for what I actually do have for you to do. Because He'll show you. Not being afraid because God is with us isn't about like, Lord, I'm doing this. Come along with me. It's much more about what are you doing, Lord? Show me and I'll move into it. It's a lot more about thinking and waiting and listening and a lot more about admitting, I have no idea, Lord, what to say and do next. But I know you can show me. And Lord, when you show me, I will do it. Give me the courage. I will do it. I want to make disciples. I don't know what it looks like. But you show me, I'll do it. I've had people come up to me and they're like, hey, I joined the church plant, but I don't want to go talking to people on the street about Jesus. And I think, well, who told you you have to do that? (laughs) That's true. I actually do like doing that. But that doesn't mean that's how you make disciples. Here's the only thing we all have to do, whether we're at Eastside Church or here or wherever. Lord, whatever you have for me to do today, I'll do it. And Lord, I want to make disciples. I want to help build your kingdom. This is one of your commands. I want to do it. Will you please show me what you're doing and what work you've prepared in advance for me to do? He's done that, right? Work for you to do today. And we don't have to be afraid no matter what it is because when he shows us, we just move into it with him. Don't let fear stop you. We can't let fear stop us. We won't experience the life he has for us. Don't let fear stop us from thinking or from doing because God is with us. Amen. Have a wonderful week.